everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben. I'm part of the team here. And uh, before I start, I just wanted to say that it's actually Pastor Adam's birthday today. So, um, yeah. Congratulations, Adam. Make sure you just give him a big hug and a kiss after the service for me. Um, that's funny because he's not the most touchy kind of person, but hey. Before we begin as well, <laughs> I just want to remind you that if you're a parent, um, we have children's programs available for kids that are primary school age or younger. So um, if you prefer them not to listen in on this topic of sexuality at the moment that we're looking at, um, you're more than welcome to take your kids out through these doors on your right and to sign them into one of our children's programs. So, as I just mentioned, we are in the third week of our series, Divine Design, Rediscovering the Christian Vision of Sexuality. And in this series, we're trying to paint a picture of sexuality as God intended it. Two weeks ago, Adam provided the backdrop for this painting by talking about four core convictions that we need as we discuss this topic. First, that our sexuality really matters. Second, that we will find freedom only in submission to God's design, not to our fallen desires. Number three, sexual sin is not the be-all and end-all sin. And number four, though we're sexually broken, in Jesus we can be and are being made sexually whole. Those are the four core convictions that Adam used to paint a backdrop for this picture of Christian sexuality. And then last week, Adam added some brushstrokes by discussing Jesus' fully human life as a man born to a woman, and how that teaches us about God's design for sexuality. So if you've missed either of those two sermons, you can jump online, they're available on Vimeo, Facebook, on our website, you're more than welcome to check them out if you've missed them. Now this week, we'll be adding even more colour to this painting by discussing the reality that we have been created as male and female in the image of God. Now, like Adam said in weeks past, this series isn't about what we're against. It's about understanding who we are meant to be as God's people. And I've been excited myself about having my mind renewed in this area because I believe that God's design is beautiful and life-giving. The more we can embrace the design of God, I believe we will discover more joy, more life, more freedom. So I'm excited about doing this series with you guys. So let's think a little bit more about what it means to be male and female. And let's begin by diving straight into God's Word. God's Word is our final authority on matters in life and faith. And we want to see what it has to teach us about this important area of our lives. So we're going to go into God's Word right to the very beginning in Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27, which speaks of the creation of humankind. So, Genesis 1, verses 26 to 27. Let me read for us. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we are made in the image of God. 
This can be said of nothing else in all of creation. It can't be said of the lion or the bear. It can't be said of your dog. It definitely can't be said of your cat. Okay, look, I'm not a cat lover, but it just, it's just plain logic to me. Only humankind reflect the image of God. And this means we are stepping onto sacred ground when we look at what it means to be human, what it means to be male and female. Why? Because we reflect something of God's nature and identity. Only we have the privilege of imaging God in creation. And the more we understand who we are made to be and live that out, the more insight we will actually gain into the identity and nature of God himself. We have a very special position in creation. And Genesis 1 verse 26 to 27 tells us that we were actually created to reflect the uncreated God. We were created to reflect the uncreated, the inestimably beautiful and glorious God. And a huge part of what that means is to be male and female. And this means that our sexuality isn't something dirty to be hidden or something awkward to be embarrassed about or avoided. It is something glorious to be embraced. Now, the problem with Australia today, I think, is that we either make too much or too little of our humanity. There's a few different cultural narratives at play in our country. And the naturalistic evolutionary story says, this world is the product of time and chance. You are nothing more than the result of a series of random and unplanned events. Therefore, there is no objective reality or law. You can do what you want because none of it matters in the end. There is nothing sacred. There is no ultimate meaning. So what you do with your body, your sexuality, how you identify yourself, doesn't matter. You see, God placed us above the animals as rulers over created things. But this view places us with the animals. In fact, I would argue even lower than the biblical value of animals. Essentially, it says that we don't matter because that is all we are. Matter. Atoms. Molecules. Cells. It lowers humanity to the dust. And the other cultural narrative at play in our country, which I think is probably a much more powerful narrative at the moment, raises us up to equality with God. It's called postmodernism, and it goes something like this. How can there really be truth? Isn't it all just relative in the end? I mean, people in India think differently to people in Norway. How can one be right and wrong? At the end of the day... All you can trust is really how you feel. So, make your own meaning. Be who you want to be. It's the only way to really find fulfillment in life. I think that's a pretty powerful cultural narrative at work in our country right now. So the story raises us, this story raises us well above the clouds, the very place of God himself. One lowers us to the dust and says, you're the result of random possibility, you're just matter. The other raises us above the heavens, says, your feelings are ultimate truth. You create meaning and reality. In effect, it says, you are God. But the Bible keeps our feet on the ground while keeping our head out of the dust. The Bible says, you're not God. 
But you're not some worthless beast either. You're human. You're a royal representative of God. And the truth is that part of what it means to truly represent God is to wholeheartedly embrace our God-given sexuality. Now, I'm probably only scratching the surface here, but I think the fact that we are not created simply as human, but as male and female, reflects God's Trinitarian nature. Let me explain. So, the Bible reveals to us that God is triune. That is, one God in three persons. One divine essence, three persons. One, yet three. Unified, yet diverse. Same, yet different. Now this is important because if God was only a lone individual, then perhaps he would have created humans in a different image to reflect that. Perhaps he would have created us genderless. If God was actually multiple different gods, then perhaps they would have created multiple different creatures to bear their image. But God is a trinity. One, yet three. So he created the one humanity as male and female. One in humanity, different in sexuality. Unified, yet diverse. We were created in the image of God. And this is why we need each other to fully express God's image. Ladies, we need you, and I hate to break it to you, but you need us. To live a fully human life, we need the other sex. Karl Barth put it this way. He says, It is always in relation to their opposite that man and woman are what they are in themselves. It is always in relation to their opposite that man and woman are what they are in themselves. In other words, we lose something of our humanity when we lose each other. We only truly human when we are unified in our diversity. And that's why there is nothing sadder than when a man dominates a woman or when women ridicule men like they're worthless buffoons. Because when we pit the sexes against each other like this, we lose a part of our humanity. And even worse, we portray the one God as if he is divided. Do you understand how sacred our sexuality is? It represents something of the nature and identity of our holy God. So when we pit the sexes against each other, we misrepresent God. And the equal and opposite error is to so emphasize our unity that it becomes uniformity. Even though we are all equal in dignity and worth, men and women are different. If we do away with sex and gender altogether, we betray God's diverse communal nature. If we do away with gender categories, we act as if God doesn't exist as a communal, relational trinity. Instead, we betray him as if he is a single, solitary individual. Men and women are distinct from each other, and that's beautiful. We were made to complement each other. We need, to, we need each other to fulfill our purpose as representatives of God on earth. God made us one in our humanity, yet different in our sexuality. God created his image bearers 
as male and female. Now, we wouldn't even be talking about this today if we had this all down pat. If we already perfectly embodied this image, it would be a no-brainer, but it isn't. When we look around us, we see a world that is confused about sexuality and gender. And when we look inside us, the, the picture doesn't get any prettier either. We're broken. And Adam used the example of the Pieta a few weeks ago to explain this truth. The Pieta is the only sculpture that Michelangelo ever signed. It is a sculpture of Mary holding her crucified son, Jesus. And in 1972, a vandal smashed it repeatedly with a hammer. The attack shattered Mary's left arm and did severe damage to her nose, veil and left eye. And this artistic treasure became a marred masterpiece in need of restoration. And you see, this is our story. Your story and my story. We're broken and in need of restoration. And the brokenness entered into our story when Adam and Eve rebelled against God's order. They tried to raise themselves above the clouds to God's level and decided to define something as good even though God said it wasn't. You see, God said, enjoy the earth I've created to Adam and Eve. But, but that tree over there is not good. It will bring death into your lives. But Adam and Eve, with the help of Satan, of course, said, really? Maybe God is holding out on us. Maybe it is it isn't as bad as what it seems. Maybe it's not so evil at all. And they dared to define what was evil as good. And so they rebelled against God and ate from the tree. And in that act, they released a curse upon their descendants. Death, corruption, brokenness and rebellion became our inheritance. And that curse has affected every part of us, including our sexuality. And this is why we see male prejudice against women. When men throw their weight around and intimidate their wives or another woman, when we use our strength, men, to serve ourselves, when we treat women as inferior, we insult the unity of our shared humanity, we insult the very unity of the triune God we were meant to reflect. And the same goes for women. When you try to dominate your husband, when you use your beauty to serve your own self-esteem, when you think of men as inferior, you insult the unity that we are meant to have as fellow human beings. You see, both of these attitudes set men and women at odds with each other. Both of them are our attempt to rule over the other. Both of them betray the unity of our humanity. God created humanity as male and female. And this means we can't be fully human without you ladies, and you ladies can't be fully human without us men. God wants us to be lovingly unified, like Father, Son, and Spirit are. In our dealings with each other, we are to reflect the oneness and the unity of God. But the curse hasn't just set us against each other. The curse of Adam and Eve has also messed with our distinctiveness. Some cultural movements have been trying to break down gender categories altogether. And part of their reasoning is because of their concern for people who experience gender dysphoria. Now, what is gender dysphoria? To put it very simply, 
Gender dysphoria describes the confusing and distressing feeling that your biological sex does not match up with your perceived gender, that your biology does not reflect your identity. Vaughan Roberts explains it this way. He says, when a child is born, it's likely that the first thing anyone will say is, it's a boy or it's a girl. Assigning someone's sex has traditionally been based on their biology, their chromosomes and anatomy. But for some people, their sense of gender, that is, their inner feelings of being male, female or both, doesn't always match that sex. Now, it doesn't take much to understand how distressing this can be for someone going through it. It it really is nothing less than an identity crisis. And so some cultural movements have been trying to break down gender categories altogether in order to relieve their distress, in order to promote acceptance of people who experience this. And, And while we might not agree with that solution... Our response as Christians must be characterized by humility and gentleness. If it isn't, we need to wake up because all of us are the pieta. The curse of sin has left all of us broken and marred. We all need healing. We all need help. We are in this thing together. Even though God's image has been bestowed upon all of us, it has also been fractured in all of us. We no longer represent the Trinitarian God as we should. We either portray him as divided by turning against the other sex, or we portray him as a single, solitary individual by breaking down gender categories altogether. Our image and our sexuality is broken and distorted. There is no individual or group in existence who can truly lead us back to our image, to full, holistic, restored humanity except for the God-man, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 verse 15 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God. Only Jesus truly embodied humanity. And only he can offer us the healing we so desperately need. You see, Jesus was not some spirit who remained distant from our struggles and issues. Jesus became a human being. Jesus embraced our humanity completely, including our sexuality. Adam spoke about this last week. He said, through the incarnation, through his birth, God the Son embraced male and female sexuality to the core. He didn't sidestep human sexuality, rather he embraced it fully. You see, Jesus entered into our mess and brokenness. And in a sense, he has rewritten the human story. He became human like us, with a sexuality like us, and lived in a broken world like us, and suffered like us, was tempted like us. Jesus became one of us. But the difference is, he conquered. He won. He defeated our enemies. He wrote a new human story that was characterized by not only love and grace and truth, but by wholeness of sexuality. Jesus invites us into this new story. And through him we can remove the shackles of sexual brokenness and reign in life once more. Romans 5 verse 17, Paul puts it this way. He says, 
For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. He's talking about Adam. Most of us, all of us before Jesus were in Adam's story. A story of brokenness. Death reigned in, our, in the human race because of Adam. Then he turns to Jesus and he says, that's the case, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Jesus has rewritten the human story. There's a new story for us to enter into. Just as we inherited death and rebellion and brokenness through Adam's sin, we can receive grace and righteousness and healing through Jesus. And this really takes us full circle back to Genesis 1. Let me read verse 26 for us again. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and so on. But notice that our part of our image was to rule over creation. And this is why Paul was saying before, how much more will we reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Because Jesus can restore our image. We were made to rule over creation. And in this way, we were meant to reflect that God is the sovereign king. Another part of what it means to be human is to rule. God placed us under himself, but over creation. And that is how God ordered things. That is how we would flourish. But we tried to rise up to God's level. We, what he called evil, we called good. And our brokenness is a result of this departure from God's design. Adam and Eve never achieved freedom and liberty by what they did. They really became enslaved instead. After sin entered our story, things that we were meant to steward and rule over became our rulers. Things like sexual desire have ruled over us and caused us to do evil things like the creation of pornography. Things of, like pride have ruled over us and created the likes of sexism. Our desire to be like God has ruled over us and we've tried to redefine sexuality and gender. And the heartbreaking thing is, we believe that these acts will lead us into joy and life and freedom and liberty. But the wages of sin, the wages of our rebellion is really only death. Slavery has been our story since Adam and Eve's rebellion until Jesus wrote a new story. Jesus, the God-man, through his life, death and resurrection has defeated our slave owners and he holds the keys that will set us free. If death and other things are ruled over us because of Adam's sin, how much more will we reign in life through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. We rebelled against the king of kings and instead of annihilating us, he became one of us, he defeated our enemies, he took our sin, he endured our punishment and our shame on the cross so that through humble repentance and faith, we can be forgiven, we can find sexual healing, we can enter into a new story and begin to recover our humanity as we follow the God-man, Jesus Christ. There is no other better news in the world. This is real news, church. This is real news. But what does this mean for us? How does this news change things 
for us. Jesus is the master restorer. And he can restore the pieta. He can restore our humanity. <laughs> us. Our, our, we broken people. He can restore us to all of our beauty and splendor. But what does it look like for us to participate in this restoration work? Well, I want to speak to those who struggle with sexism first, who, who feel superior to the other sex, but proud people don't usually realise they're proud. So um, here are two things we can all do <clears throat> to resist that kind of, that kind of um, mistake. First of all, if we're married, we can sit down with our spouse when we get home and sincerely ask them if they feel respected and valued by us. <laughs> we can sit down with them and ask them that question, sincerely and honestly, and then prepared, be prepared to keep our mouth shut and listen. Um, because if they do have something difficult to say, it might be hard to hear. But we can turn to God with that and ask him to heal us and show us how to cooperate in his restoration work. So that's one thing we can all do. If we're married, we can just ask our spouse, do you feel loved and respected and valued by me? And those of us who aren't married can choose to do some kind of act of service for the other sex. Some might cover a duty their mum would usually do. Or sisters might bake something for their brothers. Or whatever it might be. You Single people are probably thinking, oh great, I'm going to apply the sermon straight afterwards and I'm going to do something for that girl that I like and just tell her, I'm just applying the sermon, man. Don't worry about it. Well, it's on the, on the house, free of charge if you want to do that. No, the point isn't to, to go and flirt with the opposite sex. The point is, it's to do something that makes the other sex feel valued and respected. God has called us to resist feelings of superiority and embrace the unity of our humanity. And the truth is, if we want to experience restoration in our lives, we're going to have to resist our feelings at times. This is part and parcel of the Christian life. Sin has marred and broken us in many ways, and it's gone even to the point of our emotions and thoughts. So sometimes we will feel very much opposed to God's will. But that doesn't make us any more right. That just reveals the depth of our brokenness. And sometimes we're like children who have gotten the flu and we insist that the path to healing is really just to stay up late and eat junk food. But we don't know what the solution is. God does. We must listen to our doctor. And luckily for us, Jesus is a really good doctor and so we can trust him that he is actually bringing healing and life to us when he calls us to resist our feelings and this means that we can trust him when he calls us to resist feelings that minimize our distinctiveness as male and female this means for the christian who experiences ongoing gender dysphoria the call is to resist the desire to minimize the biological identity God gave you at birth. I want to quote Vaughan Roberts at length here because he says it so much better than I can. He says, For someone who struggles with gender dysphoria and becomes a Christian, there is no promise that those feelings will go away. But they have been promised the presence of the Holy Spirit who assures them of their identity as God's children and gives them a new longing to please him. That will involve recognizing that what ultimately matters is not what my feelings may say about myself, but who God made me to be, which is who I will be in the resurrection. My origin and destiny in Christ should therefore affect how I live now. And that origin and destiny includes my body with its sex. 
And that means that those who experience gender dysphoria should resist feelings that encourage them to see themselves as anything other than the sex of their birth. They will sometimes fail, whether in thought or deed, as we all do, but they are called to persevere. And that may feel agonizing at times, as if they are putting themselves to death. But that is the way to which Christ, that is the way of life to which Christ calls all of us. The cost will become very real for us in different ways, given the different challenges we face. But we are all summoned to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ. There is pain in that. Sometimes very great pain. But when we kill the desires that lead away from God's will, it brings life, not death. So whether we struggle with this issue or a different one, Jesus wants to know whether we really believe he is worthy, church. He calls every single one of us to take up our cross, die to ourselves, and follow him. And if you're a Christian who doesn't struggle with gender dysphoria, you need to be ready to extend the hand of friendship to those who do and support them in their journey with Jesus. Because all of us are created in the image of God equal in value and dignity and worth. All of us are broken and marred, and so we're in the same boat. All of us are offered grace and mercy through Jesus, and all of us who have accepted Jesus' offer are on a journey of restoration until we reach our new destination, the new heaven and the new earth, when God will erase all sexual brokenness by finally and fully restoring our human identity as male and female. Let me pray for us. Father, we just come before you with this. Lord, we just lay down it all at your feet. This touches some deep areas of our identity. Lord, our sexuality is a deep and a beautiful and a glorious thing. And Father, we just ask that you would just give us the grace to obey you in this area. Lord, I ask for for proud people that you would reveal their pride to them. If If they feel proud and superior to the opposite sex, that you would reveal that to them, Lord Jesus. That you would bring humility and healing in that situation. And Lord, for those who experience gender dysphoria, Lord, I ask that you would just be gentle to them that you would gently lead them into the path of life that you have for them. A life that isn't identified by their feelings, but identified by who you say they are. Lord, help us to take up our cross and follow you. It might look different for each and every one of us, Lord, but it's a call that we all have. And Lord, we really do believe that on the other side of this walk to the cross, there is resurrection that through the death of ourselves, we will actually experience the life that is in you. And so, Lord, set the hope of the new heavens and new earth before us when we will be finally and fully restored and healed. Help us to trust you, Lord. We worship you and we give this to you. In your name, amen.